Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher-level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today, what they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Dr. Chara Reed is the Director of Specialty Practice Solutions for Amerisource Bergen. She works with community oncologists to manage infusion services, physician dispensing, and specialty oncology pharmacy provisions. Dr. Reed is no stranger to the stage either. As a former pharmaceutical industry speaker, she has spoken to audiences across the country, educating them about advances in drug therapies affecting immunology, hematology, and oncology. As the president of her alumni council and founder of the Pharmacist Women Networking Association, Dr. Reed channels her passion for professional development and networking to empower the next generation of female pharmacists. Here is how our conversation went. Hello, Dr. Reed. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, for sure, Chara. Chara, <laughs> it go is. Through this. <laughs> Chara, it is. It's a, it's a real thrill to have you on here. I've been watching your, your progression throughout your career and certainly have a lot of questions to ask of you. But I do know that there's a lot of listeners here that are meeting you for the first time. Why don't you share with us a little bit about yourself? Tell us what you do, what your sure. role is, and, and how does it impact healthcare? Okay, so um, my role right now is I'm director of specialty practice solutions uh, for a wholesaler. And really, I kind of consider my role a consulting role. And so I help oncology practices um, build out oral oncology programs. So I help them, you know, and that could be a large healthcare system that's dispensing and maybe needs help with the workflow down to a very small practice that wants to open up a pharmacy. So I can consult on the, the range of things that are you know from A to Z in that process. So I will help a practice along <laughs> with, that, with that journey. So and, and, and I'll tell you why it's important. It's important because getting care, getting your oncology medications filled where your oncology prescribers work um, provides another level of quality of care and actually really allows um, the patient really to have better outcomes than having to get filled, nameless, you know, faceless, out in their mail order system. Yeah. So if you can get your care, especially by pharmacists in-house, um, we, we really um, see that those patients have better outcomes. 
You know, it's a really interesting niche that you're in, Shara, because, you know, I know so many patients and so many providers that struggle with the continuity of care when they have a patient that they've either just inherited or just met, and they're trying their best to be able to find, you know, a provider, the prescriptions. You know, when you think about the complexity of healthcare, and especially, especially with a disease state as ravaging and as devastating as cancer can be, you know, your ability to help um, connect these different dots is critical, but you're also seeing it in a different light, right? Like most people have this philosophy of I go to the center, I see these individuals, and this is the only place where that resource is available. And you're bringing it to a community setting. Talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges that you feel or that you work to overcome for your clients and for the uh, your current employer. And tell me a little bit about some of the problems or maybe the biggest problem right now that you and your organization are trying to overcome and, and solve for. Yeah, so I think the problem, part of the problem is access. Um, and so, you know, employers um, can choose how they want pharmacy service, services to look. Mm -hmm. um, and typically that model works um, for the majority of patients, but sometimes that model is not very conducive for care if you have a high touch disease state. So we know cancer is a high touch disease state, not to mention these medications are $10,000, $20,000 a month. They need prior authorizations. They need, they are chemo in a sense, like it's not chemo, but it's an oral oncology agent, which comes with a plethora of side effects, potential side effects that need to be managed. And um, I, I just think that when you think about that, it may not work for you to get your prescriptions in the mail. Some of these medications have to be kept cold, yeah. you know, there's storage handling issues. So it just, um, and coming from community care, coming, you know, spending the past six years in community, on five, six years in community oncology, I, I know that struggle for a patient, you know, and so, and not to mention too, you have this additional layer of financial toxicity. Mm -hmm. So we have resources um, that we help. Um, show practices, say, hey, here are some resources in addition um, to what you're doing that help these patients afford their co-pays. There's foundation assistance and, and different things, and we help support um, that model, that community oncology care model, so that the patient really can have one less thing to worry about. We want them to get better or manage their disease, and so that doesn't always mean getting better. Um, but we want to make sure we take away any barriers to that care. You know, I, I love the way that you frame that so much, Shara, because I think that the listeners today, whether they're pharmacists or doctors or nurses or, or any allied healthcare professional recognizes, um, again, the struggles of trying to ensure access to care, resources and availability. And I'm sure that as a provider um, and as a practitioner, like somebody may be thinking, how would I even like begin to incorporate this additional service into what I do today? Um, I'm sure that you have some case studies or examples of success in your role as, as a director, especially with Amerisource Bergen. Can you share like one recent example where you can say like this was the hurdle or these were the obstacles that they were facing and here's how we came to help them and, and give them education so that they could implement this kind of service? Yeah, so I mean, you know, not, not anything that 
calls out anybody specifically, but I will definitely say that, um, you know, I don't have an example from like a personal patient, you know, a patient perspective. It's more high level. So like, how do we, you know, so not only does bringing this care in-house benefit the patient, it also benefits the community care providers, right? It's already hard to stay in business, especially yeah. as an independent community oncologist. Like that can be a difficult um, thing to stay in business. And so we want to help not only help them take great care of their patients, but also to make sure that from a financial perspective, that it's that it's beneficial, you know, to what they're doing. And so there's just there's a whole bunch of things that you know, go into looking at that, you know, for a provider practice. But the bottom line really is that we know that this works. And the reason I know that it works is because I was that pharmacist that took care of those patients. So that that's kind of what makes me probably qualified to consult is because I do understand from a pharmacist perspective that was taking care of patients that really we would go to any length making sure they got samples if that's what they needed, making sure that they got the copay card assistance. A lot of pharmacies outside of this model don't go that extra mile to make sure that a patient gets their copay down from $50 to zero or $3,000 down to zero, you know, and if they're not prompted. So yeah, a patient can say, hey, is there a copay card? And then maybe they'll get that service. But we were very proactive about that kind of service. And I think, you know, our organization also helps um, with support around that, you know, and making sure that they understand what all the resources are that are available to them to take care of their patients. It sounds like this is a very sustainable model. And it's certainly, you know, based on experience that you've had. And now you're sharing that with other providers and helping them do the same you know, community oncology is maybe a rare term for some of the listeners today, uh, but now that they have a better context of what that looks like, what are your insights in terms of how community oncology is going to change over the next five years? How do you see that, you yeah. know, that, 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 that world looking like? Yeah, so I think, you know, so we think about, you know, oncology care and we know we have, or we're in Chicago, we have amazing academic centers that um, provide top-notch care. But what we wanna make sure, and what I, what I have seen in community oncology is that the care is also top-notch, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and you may not be able to drive to Chicago. You might not, it might not be convenient. You know, you might live two, three hours from Chicago. And so it's even more important than ever that, um, that community oncology really has the support you know, any support that they need to make sure that they can do what they do best. And I think the interesting thing that's happening in oncology is that the oral oncology space is exploding. So if, um, if you look at, you can look at the FDA and the new drug FDA indications that are coming out and the new drugs that are getting approved are really heavy in oral oncology. And we're even seeing a shift from infusion over to oral. So that space is, is growing. And I, I've heard, I don't, you know, don't quote me, but I've heard that that's right now, we're probably at about 30, 70, 30% oral oncology, 70% infusion, but that's going to be moving to a 50, 50 model, probably within the next five, five-ish years, 
that we're going to see, you know, just the, the research and development that's going into targeted oral oncology therapy is um, really pretty amazing. It's actually a really kind of cool space <laughs> to be in, very forward thinking and forward moving. Yeah. Um, and so I always get excited about, you know, oral oncology and how, how we can help support. And I still am very much involved in, you know, talking with manufacturers and kind of seeing what's on the forefront, forefront, what's in the pipeline. And even part of that is part of my role. It's just to make sure that we're always up to date on what's going on in that space. I mean, it certainly sounds like an exciting time and the way that you're able to show us the shift in terms of growth within this market space. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure a lot of the listeners today are probably like taking notes and, and they're certainly going to you know, want to be able to explore mm -hmm. and investigate, do some research more. Um, Shara, you know, you talked a little bit about like your previous experiences with this as a community pharmacist, which is what inspired you and what really sparked your passion in this space. Um, but this is a rare opportunity. Like when I think of like the, the position you hold and with the organization it is, um, you know, how did you know, first and foremost, that this was the right role for you? How did you decide to accept this position when it was presented? Yeah. Oh, man, that's like such a good question. Um, so I don't think I ever, it wasn't like I set out like, that's what I want to do. Um, I knew that being in, being part of community oncology, being really having a background as a retail pharmacist for decades, you know, for over a decade, being a retail pharmacist and kind of moving into the specialty pharmacy space and then even more specialized in oncology, I just thought it was an amazing transition that I got to do oncology without a residency. I thought this was really cool. Um, I did a lot of different things probably in that role um, of a community oncology pharmacist, a lot of things with manufacturers and mm -hmm. just, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I decided that I didn't want to necessarily be a community oncology pharmacist anymore. I didn't know where that journey would lead me. Um, but I think this particular role, I will say that I had been presented um, to apply for other positions within pharma and specifically an MSL position. That's kind of what always kind of pops up. You know, people reach out and be like, hey, yeah. we have this MSL position. You'd be a great fit for this. And you're very qualified for this. And I had went down that journey of thinking that's maybe what I wanted to do. But in the end, I was like, it, it just wasn't for me. It wasn't what was going to like wake me up and get me excited <laughs> every day to go to work. I'm like, no, that it's too specific, you know, and it, it wasn't my path. And so I didn't even think about working as a consultant in a solutions position until really I got a phone call from a friend that was like, hey, would you explore this? And I think as I explored that option of actually leaving the healthcare system, because it's always a little scary mm -hmm. to leave the healthcare system, which is very stable, <laughs> tends to be a very stable um, world to be in. Um, I, this was an opportunity I couldn't pass up because it allowed me to, to, to affect community oncology on a different level. So not so much as from a patient perspective, a patient by patient perspective, but helps me help practices be more efficient and keep business. And that trickles down to the patient. So when you look at it from that perspective, I'm like, this is great. Um, and I can take 
what I've learned along the way and help somebody because I was that pharmacist at, at one point that had no idea what I was in, in, in the middle, like, what, what do I do with all this? Like, how do I do this? So it's cool to be able to consult and talk to other pharmacists and be like, hey, I know exactly what you're feeling, um, but here's some things that'll make your life easier <laughs> to take care of patients. So it's so interesting that you describe it the way that you do, Shara. And, and I'm going to bring a little bit of your history into this conversation, right? Because you are not just, you know, this director of specialty practice with the Marisosburg and you're the number of hats that you wear today and what you have done in the past are by far like one of the most extraordinary and most inspiring um, journeys that I've read. Like, I'm just going to read like a small handful of things uh, that you do that you, I mean, you're on speakers bureaus um, and you've been on speakers bureaus for quite some time. Uh, you actually teach at Roosevelt University. You also are the president of the alumni council at Midwestern University. Um, and you're also a founder and creator of the Pharmacist Women Networking Association. Probably the first question that comes to mind is how and where, do you sleep? <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, and, and I forgot to mention to the listeners that this amazing woman is the mother of four children. I do. Yeah, four okay. Kids. Yeah. So, I have a lot of help. <laughs> your host <laughs> so, here has no good. candle to hold um, next to Yeah, Shara. so I'll, I'll break some of that down. So my speaking roles kind of came out of um, really a lot of networking and um, just being loving to teach, you know, so I, I've, I started off leaving high school wanting to be a teacher. I never knew it would kind of come full circle. Um, when I changed my major to pharmacy, I never knew that it, I would eventually, you know, and working for Roosevelt, unfortunately, right now, I don't have any pharmacy students. I, you know, it do, doesn't always translate when you come into these types of positions. But yes, being a preceptor for years for Roosevelt University um, and getting that faculty type appointment from that work. And then also for Midwestern um, alumni just came out of the fact that I'm very passionate about networking. And then that led to pharmacist women networking, you know, where there was this need. I kind of saw this need, this space that was not tapped into mm -hmm. that pharmacist women are struggling and people were reaching out to me all the time. Like, how did you get to, how did you get out of retail? Like, what did you do? Like, how did you, you know, get to where you were? Like, you know, a lot of people don't want to be in that space anymore. Sometimes it works for a little while till it doesn't work for you. Right. And so I was just always getting these things and I'm like, you know what, I can't help everybody. But I know that there's a lot of amazing pharmacist women, and we need to get them all in a room together, <laughs> you know, pre-COVID. <laughs> so we... <laughs> Thank you, you for know, the disclaimer. So like, this disclaimer, right? So when you see those big programs, this was all before COVID. Um, and so I'm like, there's a lot of women. I'm talking to a lot of different pharmacist women. There's a lot of us like doing these really cool, innovative jobs, you know, and there's other people that want to know about how we got there and what we're doing. And the best way that I thought to do that was to get us all together. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let's create a space that is really not focused on anything, but um, having fun and networking. It, it's nothing deep, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's relationship building with people that you, you, you didn't know or don't know, or that you, and, and you want to get to know, you want to get to know what they've done. It's not, it's not anything more than that. <laughs> really but it's so, but it's still but yeah. like substantial 
Like that's the thing, right? Like I know that we say, well, these are, you know, just a, a fun gathering, but the fact of the matter is, is that the relationships that you know are created in that kind of environment really open doors. Um, and I know that that was my story, right? Like I didn't wake up one morning and decide, you know, I'm going to be a, 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 you know, a career consultant and a leadership coach. It's sort of like morphs into the next phase of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I think about your your natural ability to, you know, be a networker, to help professionals and executives sort of like find each other, you know, I'm sure that there are some common um, concerns that you hear from your, your groups, right? Like they probably come back to you mm-hmm. and they ask you like one or two things. Like what is probably the most common complaint or common uh, concern that you hear from people within the networking group? And what's the advice that you give mm-hmm. to them? So I think the thing that I hear about the most when I talk to women is that they don't feel fulfilled in their role. Um, They don't feel like they are doing what they set out to do when they got out of school. Um, And so, and I'm gonna like steal this terminology from Z-Dog MD, I'm gonna steal this if you know who he is. He talks about moral injury. And I thought it was like the perfect terminology to capture what people feel sometimes in healthcare. You kind of set out to be that pharmacist, to take care of patients, to like do this really amazing work. And sometimes you get into a role that that's not what's happening, you know? And I know from my experience, I mean, to get on a phone call with a supervisor when you're having a really tough day and they are hounding you because you didn't sell seven flavor RXs is like, really? <laughs> like, is this what we're doing? I'm, I'm guessing that <laughs> this know? is from personal experience that we're sharing. Yeah. This. yeah. So this is moral injury, right? That you're getting hounded about something. And it's like in August where kids aren't sick, <laughs> you know? And it just is like, you know, like, why am I putting up with this? Like, and that's what a lot of people, I'm sure it's not, I'm sure it's not just women, but that's what I'm, I'm hearing a lot of. And I feel like it's moral injury because it's not, it's what you know that you should be doing and you're not really getting the opportunity to do that. And so how do you change that? And what are some of the steps, you know, and I'm not a coach. I'm, I'm just literally talking to people about my own experience and, sometimes you have to make hard decisions to make a change, you know, and I made those hard decisions. You know, I took the $10 an hour pay cut and, you know, people talk about walking uphill to school both ways. Well, I did drive to work over 70 miles one way, you know, to when I decided to make a change. So, you know, that's a three hour commute home if it snows in Chicago, (laughs) you know, so sometimes you make those tough um, decisions to make a change. And I think that's, that's the most common theme is that it's scary to make a change. You know, it is, it's tough. It's tough to think about, um, you know, to, to leave your comfort zone of your job for 20 years or 25 years. Like that's a comfort zone. Like I got engaged at the retail pharmacy. Like that's like your whole life is wrapped up sometimes in, that job, your best friends are friends from work (laughs) that you built those relationships. You started off as techs and went through pharmacy school together. You know, these are 25, 30 year relationships from when you were 16. It's hard to leave. It's hard to step away from that. 
it's very hard to disassociate yourself from um, something that really has been your life for decades, you know, so it's tough. And so I, I think, and that's why I'm so vocal about my story and that it wasn't easy to leave, you know, but look, you know, look what you can do. You know, I'm just a normal person, normal pharmacist, but look at all these things. Like I never would have imagined a few years after leaving Walgreens that I would be flying all over the country, promoting, you know, speaking and teaching people about a new drug that came to market. Mm -hmm. Like what? Like I would have never. <laughs> it's not usually on our, you know, it's situation. not in our curriculum to prepare for those kinds of things. No, like I never would have thought that. But had I not taken that chance of leaving, I never would have gotten some of these really cool opportunities that I got. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Uh, that's very inspirational, Sarah. I mean, I'm trying not to like you know get all flustered in this conversation, but I, I can feel the emotion <laughs> that comes out of that because right? I can only imagine. I mean, you literally are severing ties with family when you make that decision. You are literally walking away from the home that you've built at your workplace. And that home, I'm using home, not house, right? A house is not a home. Um, yeah. Like the emotional investment that you've put in because you recognize mm -hmm. that there was something greater out there or that the opportunities mm -hmm. that were being visible to you had greater appeal. And I think that that's something that I hope the listeners always take into account that what might look good today um, doesn't mean that it's the best that's out there. And so research, Absolutely. take the time. And then when you find it, yes, go out on a, on a, on a step of faith and, and go with that. So I want to talk a little bit more about you, right? As an individual, right? Like I've seen all the great things that you do. You've just shared with us so many different things that you've had the opportunity to experience, to partake in and, and to leave a little bit of yourself at these different events um, and opportunities to educate others. Um, but there's always a trajectory of where, you know, something happens and you recognize that that was the moment where life suddenly looked different, like your perspective changed. Is there a life lesson that you learned early on in your career that shaped you? Um, or is there something that you can share with us that was sort of a, a trajectory point where suddenly, instead of going straight, all of a sudden, like, what was that moment yeah. when it hit Shara and Shara went, whoa, not, not what I had in mind, but yeah, we're going to do this. Yeah. You know, I think um, I, it's weird that you say that because I actually had this moment. Well, I've had two like weird moments. <laughs> One, I remember working at, at an independent pharmacy in a job that I loved and I thought was amazing and loved my team. And I remember though thinking, do you really want to do this for the rest of your life? Like I, I distinctly remember, I remember where I was standing when I had that thought and it was like, man, I don't know that I necessarily want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, and, and, and it wasn't long after that, I started job hunting. Um, and then I had a second moment when I did transition to the healthcare system. Um, very shortly into that role, I had another moment that I said, um, this position is going to change your life. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know why I thought that, but I, I knew that something was happening. <laughs> you know? Almost like you had a premonition I, or you, you get premonitions. It was a weird, yeah, it was weird. And I just was like, you know, this is going to, um, this job is going to just change something. Nice. And I, I didn't know. I had no idea. I could have never predicted um, what that was going to be. But I think I, part of 
recognizing that was um, you've been given a really great opportunity. I thought I really had the unicorn of roles working specialty pharmacy and having the weekends off. I thought was like a godsend, <laughs> yeah. it was a, a huge blessing. That and <laughs> you know to be off on the weekend and be off at night was like I didn't think it got better than that. <laughs> Honestly, it didn't. And so, but I knew that I had because I was given this really amazing opportunity, and I mean it was a, a, a really big blessing in my life. I knew that I needed to do the work to, to be the best specialty pharmacist that I could. I knew nothing about oncology when I stepped into that role and had to take care of oncology patients. But I said, this is a huge responsibility and I'm going to do the work. And I really think that that is what changed the trajectory of my career is that me really deciding I can't take good care of patients if I don't understand what these things are, you know, but then learning how to learn oncology, literally learning oncology made me know how to teach oncology, <laughs> you know, because I was like, wow, this, this, this can be taught because I'm an example of this. These drugs did not exist when I was in pharmacy school, except for maybe two of them. All the rest were our new drugs. Right. So, yeah. So I just, I don't know. I was just like, I got to do some hard work. And I, I did a lot of hard work. I went to conferences, oncology conferences, when I did not know what they were talking about. No clue. <laughs> like I was looking up and in a conference, in an educational CE conference, they don't say brand names. So the brand names you see on the shelf are not the names that they use. So I was Googling Abiraterone. Oh, Zytiga. I know that drug. We, we dispense that. I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> like, Stuff was just like going over my head, but I was a sponge. I was like, I got to learn this stuff. I got to do what it takes to learn it. And I think yeah. that probably was one of the best things that, that I did. <laughs> you know? And I love that. I mean, like you have a spirit of understanding of like, Hey, I may not be there today, but I'm working on that every single day. Right. It's the adaptability. It's the, uh, you know, it's the it's the tenacity that we demonstrate in a foreign role or a foreign environment where we're not mm -hmm. like even confident, like forget like competent, um, you know, forget being mm -hmm. like an expert. Like you're sort of like, what am I doing here? Right. But yet we still find ourselves pushing individually like, Hey, well, I might not know it now, but I have tools. I have resources. I am curious yep. enough to ask questions to get, from A to B, and then I'll get from B to C later. And that's that's really inspiring as well. Char, what's, when you reflect on your career thus far, right? All the, all the things that you were asked to do and all the things that you chose to do, um, there's probably a few achievements or accomplishments along the way that you look back and you're like, and that was like really good. Like, I'm really proud of that one thing. Mm -hmm. And what would be that one professional achievement or accomplishment that you can tell other people like, hey, you know, it, on your, on, you know, Hopefully this will not happen anytime soon, but as you get closer and closer to the end of life, you can look back and be like, I'm so mm -hmm. proud of that. I'm glad I did that. And I'm glad that that was the result. Yeah. 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 I think two things. One, um, I think I, I was very, and still am very passionate about the National Community Oncology Dispensing Association. And I remember when I kind of discovered the association and I just like immersed myself into it, joined committees. I'm like, I, I need to know more because this, this, this organization is literally, um, it's like, it's telling me about problems and it's giving me solutions. It's telling me about the problems that I have that I didn't know that I wasn't the only one 
and it's giving me solutions <laughs> to these problems. And so I really immerse myself. And I think, you know, one of the, you know, I've, I've had a couple of pretty amazing experiences being a speaker, you know, at that organization and um, just, you know, being on their, and, you know, cover of their magazine and just like all of those things. And I think that just, I, I, I loved and still to this day love um, that the organization and what they're doing for patient care. So that I'm very, very proud of that I've gotten to speak at their conferences and, and do a lot of work, pretty cool work um, for them. But then the other thing is my baby, you know, pharmacist women <laughs> networking <laughs> association, yep. which I mean, and not to be like weird about it, but it literally changes lives. And I, I mean, you don't, you don't ever think you're going to be in a position to, to have people tell you that, you know, but when you do a networking call and people get on the call and literally, like I said, and now it's virtual. So it's, you know, it's a little bit harder um, to network virtually, but we still are very committed to networking. And so you get a pharmacist on there that um, is down, lost their job from COVID, doesn't know where to turn, does not know what to do and, and just feels lost, you know? And the fact that, you know, we have this call and, and the, everyone's so uplifting and so open to helping and, and something I say, said something about like, well, why don't you think about this field? Like, have you thought about this? Cause I do try to get pharmacists to think about non-traditional roles. Cause I think sometimes we get so stuck in our heads that we can only be a retail pharmacist or a hospital pharmacist or a managed care pharmacist. Like those are the three things, <laughs> you know? And so we, we forget that there's other things, you know, and I mentioned this field reimbursement manager position, which I always thought pharmacists are perfect for this role in pharma, even though you'll never see a pharmacist is required. No, phar a PharmD is not required to do the role, but it's a cool role. And I just mentioned it. And I said, oh, you know, I have a couple of friends that, that do it. I can connect you guys. You can explore it, see. And to, you know, the next month's networking call to have this pharmacist tell me, like, you've changed my life. Um, I have a new job in pharma as an FRM. And they're excited. I'm the only pharmacist on the team. And they're so excited to have me. And this job is mean. And like, you just don't expect that. But those are the stories that I hear over and over and over again, just by providing a platform for women to network, you know, and people have gotten jobs and they've decided on coaching because, you know, sometimes you need a coach, you know, and I tell people, you know, you, you can't always do it on your own. Sometimes you don't even know what you want to do and a coach can help you get there, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, women who signed up for coaching through various channels, you know, and so just, I, I think, you know, the fact that I can get women to think about their career and think about getting into something that they're excited to wake up and do like I am, like, I love every day. I'm like, Oh, what do I get to do today? <laughs> you know, and I want other people to, to have that experience. So I'm very, very proud of the work that I've done um, with pharmacists women. And you have a lot more work to do, Shara. I know that. So keep on doing that. Keep on bringing the light and keep on inspiring people. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, your philosophy or maybe a book that you, you know, are reading now that's continuously pouring into you, right? Like we, you just pointed out, like sometimes, you know, we get lost and we go to resources that 
reignite, reignite us, nourish us, and just kind of mm-hmm. help us reframe that. So is there a book that you recommend or maybe that you're reading now that you would re- um, prescribe yeah. to the audience as an opportunity to, to learn something new or something that's in, in, mm-hmm. inspiring you today? Sure. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> this is probably very cliche. Um, but because, you know, I am a Christian, I, you know, I, I read the Bible, I listen to it. I, um, I listen to, um, pastors that, that talk, you know, through certain passages. And I, I think that for me, it's what it really is what drives me. And I think, you know, there's a principle in the Bible about to who much is given, you know, you know, much is expected, you know, you've been given a lot. And I think about that all the time, like how much I've been given and, and how you can't be selfish about that, you know, and how you have to give back, you know, and I, I, I live by that principle, like that it's very important to me to give back to, you know, to reach a handout. There's, there's, you know, even sometimes even a little bit more specifically to black women, you know, who aren't the beneficiary of a mentor. I, I wasn't the beneficiary, you know, of a black female pouring into my life, you know, I didn't have that, you know, and so coming up as a pharmacist and someone helping me navigate these different things. And so I think um, a lot about some of those principles and how important it is for me to live that out, you know, and to really, you um, so I, I talk about it as reaching a hand back, mm. like how we have to reach a hand back. You know, we have to reach a hand back and help people who are more disenfranchised. And, and frankly, you know, as a black female, we are. And, and look in the, you know, look at the news. <laughs> like, you know, I don't you, want you to see sure. the things. I mean, no, I know. Right. I'm, I know. Yeah, I, it's, I it's totally hard, but, but you like, are right. It's very true. It's and difficult. it's very prevalent now. And, and it's visible. I think that that's the right. The, it's palpable, the, right? Yeah, palpable. And you know, and to think about, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm very um, proactive about that, you know. And I, I feel like, you know, like I said, I've been given a lot of opportunity. Granted, I've done the work, you know, with that opportunity. But I think my lesson is to, is to give back. And I'm very uh, serious about that. <laughs> you and know, I, I take that. that very seriously. That's very good. Shara, yeah. you've talked a lot about, you know, a couple of guiding principles in your life, professionally, personally, that have helped you advance mm-hmm. your career. You've talked about, um, you know, making hard sacrifices um, and doing hard work. Like those are the things that you have mm-hmm. definitely defined as principles, values, foundations that you know achieves, help people, in, including yourself, uh, achieve mm-hmm. success. Is there a third piece of advice that you would give to our listeners today to help them raise their status or advance their career? Yeah, I mean, I I talk about networking. You know, I have a whole organization (laughs) dedicated to it. Um, And I think that people think of networking sometimes as this like cheesy thing, joining, paying for whatever, Um, but they don't like, really embrace the relationship building that networking does. And I, and, and, and to network outside of pharmacy. So not just networking with pharmacists, because really a lot of 
my pharma opportunities did not come from pharmacists, mm -hmm. you know, and it was with account directors and VPs, and these are not people who are pharmacists. So it was me really selling them on the fact that like, you need a pharmacist speaker on your speakers bureau. This is what you need. We want to learn from pharmacists, <laughs> you know? So sometimes you got to network outside of the pharmacist realm, but networking. And, and when I say people, cause I think people think they network, but I don't really think that they do because when I say, do, are, are you effectively networking? It doesn't mean adding people on your LinkedIn or reaching out to people on LinkedIn that you don't know. That is a form of networking, but relationship building, taking time to join your alumni association and get involved, go to the events, <laughs> go to the, you know, people like that. If you live by where you went to school, that's literally one of the easiest things you can do. Um, you know, join your local, maybe you can't afford APHA or the, some of the big ones there. It's expensive. You know, I get it. I'm a fan, but I get it if you can't afford it, but you can enact change. It's easier to en change locally, you know, get on your board of pharmacy calls, join, you know, your state pharmacist association or hospital pharmacist association locally and not just join anything I'm paying for to join. I'm probably on a committee. I'm reaching out and saying, okay, you know, I joined uh, a, a S C H. I can't remember what it's called. A C H E. I think it's called. And we have a Chicago chapter, which nobody's a pharmacist, but I joined the networking committee, <laughs> you know? So like network, like real work, it takes time. It, you know, time is expensive, you know? And so your, your time is everything really. And so you got to put in that time and that effort. I I, I could not agree with you more. I think that even I can attribute my success to the, the networking, the relationships that get built. And what I want to call out is what you said just at the beginning of that is like, learn to, learn to network with non-pharmacists or non-healthcare professionals, right? We have a tendency, whoever you are, right? If you're a doctor, a nurse, um, a pharmacist, physical therapist, whatever, we tend to kind of cling to ourselves. Like, oh, I can learn from you because you're a pharmacist in a different mm -hmm. setting, or I can learn from you because you're an optometrist in this setting. So I can get that. And yeah, there's there's some clinical knowledge you'll definitely mm -hmm. pick up. And maybe there's an opportunity or two that will open up because of that. But you will not get a better, broader, and brighter perspective unless you're talking to people that are from a completely different realm of the same organization mm -hmm. or a similar organization or within even yep. the industry. Like it's the it's the stripes of a beach ball that you want to be able to see all of and not just, hey, I'm yep. standing on the blue and I'm only going to talk to people on the blue stripe. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a very very good way to put that. Shrad, this has been a very insightful, very inspiring um, episode. I'm really glad that you were able to join us. For the listeners that will want to maybe take the next step and maybe network with you or learn more about you, your role yeah. today with the Marisol Bergen or uh, pharmacist networking um, with the, for women, what's the yeah. best way for them to reach out to you? Um, so as always, LinkedIn is um, really easy. Pharmacist women is certainly we have you know, pages on LinkedIn to join and we will um, post those virtual networking events. Um, certainly can message me. Um, we do have some local events that we also are going to, I'm excited. We're going to start live here in the next few months, um, back to some live programming, but not to leave out the, the women across the country who aren't necessarily here in Chicago. Um, so we're still going to be continuing our virtual networking opportunities. 
Um, but yeah, LinkedIn is probably one of the easiest and direct messaging me there is probably one of the easiest ways to get a hold. Get Outstanding. Shara, thanks again for being on the show. It was a real pleasure to have you and I'm wishing you much success. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. As Dr. Reed just shared, there is a shift taking place in the race to cure cancer. As pharmaceutical manufacturers migrate from infusion therapy to oral medications, access to care will increase requiring more high-touch providers to educate patients and monitor adverse effects. I enjoyed hearing how Dr. Reed's career wasn't charted out in advance, but that she was able to recognize the options and opportunities that presented themselves to her and select ones that had the greatest benefit potential. Her adaptability, curiosity, and tenacity not only continue to drive herself forward, but to support and lift up others. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career, build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.